Federal Reserve research shows that black workers earn less than their white counterparts in a worsening trend that holds even after accounting for differences in age, education, job type, and geography. In 1979, the average black man in America earned 80% as much per hour as the average white man. In 2016, that shortfall had worsened to 70%, according to research from the San Francisco Federal Reserve, which found the divide had also widened for black women. The analysis from the Institute of Women's Policy Research says if the wage gap keeps narrowing at the pace it has been in the last 50 years, black women will not catch up to white men until the year 2124. That's 106 years from now. Hispanics until 2248, and white women until 2056. The excerpts I read from Bloomberg and NBC respectively speak to the historical inequity that people of color face when it comes to equal pay in the workplace. Considering the nation's history, this itself should not be a surprise. However, the question is, what, if anything, can we do as non-white men to tip the scales in our favor. This is Latricia, and you're listening to Living Corporate. So today we're talking about effective salary negotiation and career management strategies. This is a great topic, and I'm glad we're discussing it. Uh, the data you shared at the top of the show was, uh, I'm going to be honest, it was like really depressing, but <laughs> it points to the reality of where we are. And we can't move forward without being honest about where we're starting. Right. It is frustrating to see the data. And it's a reminder that racial inequity goes beyond the typical talking points that aren't often explored and understood. Right. I mean, let me read this again. The analysis from the Institute of Women's Policy Research says that if the wage gap keeps narrowing at the pace... It has been in the last 50 years, black women will not catch up to white men until the year 2124, which is 106 years from now. Hispanics until 2248 and white women until 2056. Yeah, that is crazy. And I know that this show is about salary negotiation and career management, but that particular point uh, from those those articles Reminds me of conversations you and I have had around how so many companies promote diversity and inclusion, but don't actually discuss anything beyond gender representation. Right. We just talked about that. So this is a great example of how that binary view is so problematic. From looking at the analysis from the Institute of Women's Policy Research and again being reminded that all women aren't treated equally. Having that intersection of race and gender matters if we're going to have an authentic conversation around these issues. I mean, I completely agree. So like with that in mind, let's talk about salary negotiation. And I think this is a great topic because I'll speak from my own experiences and what I've observed. I feel as if people of color don't really advocate and encourage the idea of just negotiating. Right. Like I'll hear more stuff like you just need to get in the door and work your way up. You don't want them to look at you sideways or think that you're all about the money or whatever, whatever, whatever. I hear a lot of those talking points from other people of color. Right, right. And I've heard the same thing. I mean, just a little about me, I'm, uh, my background is in public health. And I'm in this Facebook group with other women in public health. I won't say the group specifically, 
But I've seen how black women with master's degrees are working jobs out of their master's for almost minimum wage. And I can't believe it. And even just the idea of a six-figure salary is something that they don't dream of until they're at the top of their career, maybe close to retirement. Like, we're talking like 50. And that's when they're thinking that they'll be able to get to that six figures. And then I'm sharing stories about kids I know coming out of undergrad within three years at, you know, some of these firms that are, it's achievable to make it to. And they're making six figures within three years. And you're talking six figures 20 years into your career. And I'm really passionate about this episode. And it's important for us to talk about it. Like I said, in public health, for some reason, people are too ashamed to talk about the money because we're more focused on social justice and healthcare for all. And I totally understand that viewpoint. But we can accomplish social justice and still secure the bag. So, you know, I really think that this is going to be an important show. Right. I guess I'm a little taken aback, to be honest, because you're talking about these women. And like you said, you and I have had this conversation in private, but just you saying it again is just mind boggling. You're talking about women who have advanced degrees taking like pennies on the dollar. Right. Like that's nuts to me. And it honestly makes me sad, but I'm not surprised. Like, where do you think that comes from? Like the idea of not negotiating or not negotiating enough. And let me be clear, guys, this is not just an issue for black women. The main people I've gotten this whole chill, take it slow, get in the door and grind talk are actually from male people of color. But like, where do you think that that comes from, Latricia? Like, what, what are your thoughts there? It's definitely not exclusive to women of color. These are realities that still create practical micro level challenges for all of us on a day to day. And like we said from the start, the issues we're pushing up against are systemic and institutional, and we get that. But I don't think it means we just say, well, racism, well, it's me. And don't at least figure out ways to fight and be more strategic in how we push for that bag, you know? I definitely do. (laughs) Uh, It's funny. Well, racism. I mean, that's not funny, but the way, well, (laughs) that should be a meme. Well, Nothing we can really do. <laughs> like It's not funny, but it's kind of funny at the same time. Anyway. Um, That's going to be a hashtag for the show, by the way. Well, yes. Okay, there we go. That's another hashtag. Well, racism. I wish that we could put commas in hashtags, but it's fine. We might make a meme. I don't know. Anyway, to your point, I definitely do. And like you said, just talking about some of the, the larger data points, there, who's to say that we're not able to do some things and mobilize at an individual level that could impact the whole thing? Like There might be things that we can do just as... Latricia as Zach, as the person listening to this podcast that could actually make a dent in some of these trends. Absolutely. And really, it'd be great to have another person with a more seasoned perspective, like someone with over 25 years of experience in career coaching or corporate recruiting, salary negotiations, and strategic relationship building. Not to say this discussion hasn't been great, but just to have an extra perspective, you know? Hmm. You mean like our guest for today's show, Kyle Mosley? What? what? Come on, sound man. You know what it is. Drop them things in here. All right. So next, we're going to go into an interview with our guest, Kyle Mosley. So we have Kyle Mosley on the show. Uh, Kyle, welcome. 
Hey, thank you for having me, Zach. Hey, not a problem. We're really excited to have you here. And uh, for those of us who don't know you, would you mind just sharing your story? Oh, definitely. Well, Zach, I've been a recruiter for 25 years here in Houston, Texas. I started off in 1992, so really I'm going into my 26th year pretty soon. So I started as a engineering recruiter as well as I delved into some executive recruiting as well. I owned my own recruiting firm for eight years uh, before getting back into connecting with a old buddy of mine in the recruiting network. And uh, I'm still recruiting until this day. It's been a very lucrative field. Uh, my wife is a recruiter as well. And uh, it's a, a great, great opportunity for me to be able to share and help other people. No, that's awesome. And congratulations on, on coming up on 26 years. That's amazing. Yeah, long time, long, long time, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, um, as you know, today we're talking about effective salary negotiation. Can you explain, you know, from your point of view, why salary negotiation matters? That's a good question. Salary negotiations are much like a relationship negotiation. Okay. It sets the tone for what type of relationship you will or will not have with the prospective employer. Okay. So ideally, everybody wants to have a win-win situation when it comes to salary negotiations. But we know eventually one side will either concede or compromise or the other side will not. And somebody either will walk away or, you know, if there is the compromise, there still may be some... Um, expectations there from one party that didn't quite get what they want. So when you go into a salary negotiation, you must know that before you finalize the negotiation as well as come to terms with the other party, what are you prepared to be able to live with? And I think right now, Zach, in this day and age is no different than when I first started recruiting, to be honest with you, is that everybody expects to get something out of the deal, right? So if you go into the salary negotiation expecting my top 10 list to be fulfill fulfilled by the employer, I think it's delusion, <laughs> to be honest with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and the reason why I'm saying this is because, let's be honest, uh, and I always go back to the relationship principle. When you and your wife first started dating, there was some give and take, give and take. And the same thing with your employer, uh, our prospective employer, is it will be a give and take. Now, your employer may concede certain uh, aspects of the, the the job functions or the the salary that you're going to get, but there are going to be some high expectations the higher that salary goes. Okay. You know? And are you willing and ready to be be prepared to accept that responsibility? You see. So if you cannot accept that responsibility and take the ownership of what's going to happen once you become gainfully employed with that prospective employer, you are going to really have a difficult track with that organization. So to your point though, about, I guess, being more practical regarding companies' expectations regarding the higher, the higher the number goes, 
Do you have any examples or any stories around how you've seen that play out? Over 25 years, I've been a part of hundreds of salary negotiations, right? The the issue comes into play and it always comes back to who's going to be bitter about this situation <laughs> or, or not. And, who, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and who, who's going to have the, like I said, the higher expectation there. So, right. all right. So let's kind of re- do a reverse engineering type of deal. Um, let's, let's start from, all right, you're on board with the employer, but that employer is going to be expecting certain things from you. So before you go into any salary negotiation, you got to be able to do your homework, number one. And also, number two, you have to know your value. If you don't know your value and you don't know anything about the employer or where you're going to work, you're really going to put yourself at a disadvantage in this whole negotiation scenario, okay? Now, when I talk about knowing your value is the fact that a lot of people believe that, okay, I, I came out of school, I went four years, got my bachelor's, and let's say I, I, I went to get a master's degree or an MBA or some sort of advanced college degree, right? Right. So therefore, when I go on to these career sites like Glassdoor or Salary.com or Monster or Career Builder, these guys are telling me I'm worth $80,000 to start off with. An employer wants to know, yeah, you have great credentials when it comes to your educational credentials, but what about your real work experience credentials? Okay. And the value comes into if if I offer Zach an opportunity to come on to my my company, XYZ executive firm, right? I need to know that Zach from day one is going to enhance my, my company versus Zach is going to be more of a person extracting from my company. Okay? Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so then that's when I'm saying, if you know your value, from day one, you've got to be able to articulate this to your your prospective employer. That's a part of the negotiation cycle. So, all right. So I have an entry-level kid coming out of uh, one of these big-name Texas schools, and he's an engineer, and he has his Ph.D. in engineering. So then I have a five-year engineer who's worked in the oil and gas industry. He only has a bachelor's degree and they're vying for the same opportunity. So the bar is telling us, well, I like the fact that this kid went to my previous alma mater. I love it. However, I need a guy from day one can hit the ground running. So who does he offer the job to? one who has the practical real world experience. I'm not trying to alarm people who are who have done well in their educational pursuits, but you cannot say that I'm going to walk in day one expecting 
X, X amount of salary if I don't have practical experience. You have to be able to, that's when knowing your worth comes into play. Okay. What are you willing to concede in order to get a start in, in the real world? That's one if you're entry level. Two, let's say you are the five-year person or 10-year person or 20-year person. You have some achievements that you have done in previous jobs. But if you don't have that information, if you're just going off of your emotions, you, you see, you have to take the emotion out of the equation. You have to also articulate what you believe you're worth. Okay. So, you know, we're sitting down, we're having conversations with the employer and you're, you know, you're answering the questions and things of that nature. How do you, how do you articulate your value? Okay. That's where you do your homework. And a lot of times doing your homework, Zach, is what type of questions are you asking in the interview yourself? A lot of people go into an interview believing that they're sitting down and the employer is going to ask them all of the questions and they're going to answer questions and that's it. No, you have to be prepared to be able to ask certain type of questions to the employer. Like how long has this job been open? How long have you been looking for the right person? Uh, what expectations do you have of that person when they walk in the door? 90 days, 120 days, uh, 180 days, a, a year, whatever. What are those those timetables? What are those things that we can quantify, right? Okay. That you're going to expect me to come into the door. Like, uh, if you're a salesperson, they're going to want to see X amount of revenue that you bring into the organization, right? Right. If you are an engineer or technical professional, they want to see how many projects you're able to work on and complete in X amount of time. Right. right? Um, if you are an operations uh, professional, how many projects have you brought to the table and how many projects have you been able to find the right people to work on those projects and be able to complete in this particular time frame as well? So those are the type of things that you have to be able to flesh out in the interviewing process. If you're not able to flesh values from the employer, how can you negotiate effectively? Because a lot of people believe that it should be on my resume and you should be able to give me what I'm worth. So what is that? How does that look? How, I mean, how as an employer, I will be able to know that Mr. Nunn is worth 60 or 80000 80 or $100,000 to my organization. Because what's going to be my return on my investment in Mr. Nunn? For those who don't know, uh, Kyle Mosley is a black man. And, and Kyle, I'm curious, as a black professional, I'm curious, have you seen any differences when you look at how um, white and non-white candidates pursue job opportunities? First of all, audience, uh, let me just say this. I'm a Morehouse man. So when I came out of college, I believed I can conquer the world. <laughs> I, right. I'm just, to be honest, with you, you know, um, back in eight, 1989, that's when I graduated. And I believe I can walk into any room, boardroom and get an offer. That's how I felt. 
A matter of fact, when I first got to Houston, I interviewed at five companies in one day and got four offers. I had confidence, right? So the confidence that I had was that I didn't go into the interviews with fear. When an African-American engineer, not all, this is what I have noticed. Okay. When an African-American engineer goes into an interview, they usually are not as well prepared on the company, who's the interviewer, who's going to be a part of the interviewing process, understanding what makes the people tick. If you ever have dealt with a recruiter or have a relationship a recruiter can possibly give you some inside information on the company, what's happening with the position, how long these people are looking, have been looking. Uh, look, and if it's a high turnover type of uh, situation or if, if it's going to be a tough interview and how you need to present yourself, we do the whole gamut of setting the person up for as much success going into the interview versus if you're winging it by yourself. And you can always use me, and I'm just putting it out there. As someone, you probably heard my voice and said, all right, uh, I need some help. I'm going into this. I don't have a recruiter. Call me. I'm, I'm open to help people out. What I would suggest, just not only attaching or be building a network with recruiters or with other talent professionals, being able to study who you're going to speak with in the market and also go on LinkedIn, man. LinkedIn is a fabulous tool. I'm just going to use fictional ABC company, right? Sure. So sometimes human resources is going to say, okay, Sally, you have an interview tomorrow at 8 AM. Be here, be early. So you can be prepared to fill out paperwork da, 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 da. and you hang up the phone. Wow. I got an interview and you excited. Zach, who will you meet? Who will be a part of this process? Yeah. And I've seen other engineers say, okay, that's great. But when I walk in the door, who do I need to, to be expecting my arrival? And how long will I be with this person? Who else is going to be a part of that process? They ask more questions. Right. They want to be educated. They want to go to the person's LinkedIn profile. Look at, let's say, where the person went to school, how long they've been at the company themselves, what type of uh, hobbies they may have. Sometimes people have their hobbies on there, right? Uh, let's say it's photography or hunting or whatever it is. Right. Those are things that you could bring up in the interview, okay? Try to find some common ground with the person outside of just being uh, about the interview or things of that nature, Right. Right. So those are the things that help you build a, a successful way to get in the door, interview successfully with that person. So then and ask the, the right questions. Right. And I forget about this guy. Right. Ask the right questions. The money. Uh, you, you Typically, I don't want people to speak about money on the first interview. OK. You typically do not want to be the one to come out with the money first because you don't want to look as it's only about money for you. Most of the time, 
they're going to ask you. So if they ask you, yes, address it and address it confidently. Okay. Now you can also say this. Let's say, well, oh, I'm Mr. M interviewer. Well, uh, Zach, uh, how long, uh, uh, how much money do you want for this particular job? Right. <laughs> <laughs> how much are you expecting from us here? Well, Mr. Employer, that's a great question. Can I answer this at the end of the interview so I can be able to get an assessment for what you guys are looking for to make sure that I, I'm able to answer that correctly and address it properly. Right. So, so then, okay. So, so I hear what you're saying, but at the end of the interview, you know, what, what, what would you suggest saying? Well, you can give them the number you feel <laughs> that will make you happy, <laughs> but you say it in such a way. Well, based upon what you guys are looking for, Joe, uh, You've been looking for five months. Uh, you've been trying to find the right person who could be able to execute this type of project. I have been able to execute these type of projects in several occasions. I explained that in the interview. You've been looking for someone to be able to come in and work well with the team. I've built different teams and work cross-functionally with different teams. And this here and here and here. I've done da 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 and I've done this, this, and this. So based upon what you are looking for in my background and feeling that I can make a contribution immediately. I want a hundred thousand dollars. Straight like that. If that, if you already know, that's what the salary range is bearing, right? Right. You may have a good feeling and you can ask that question with HR on the phone say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of curious uh, for this type of role. And I, I'm thank you for this interview first. W what's the salary range for this? You know, I think, of course, we live in a capitalistic society, right? Like you have to have money to survive. So I'm I'm really trying to and I appreciate you clarifying and directly asking about the money piece, because, you know, I've also been in situations where people reach out to me to be really excited. And, you know, their salary range is like, I don't know, 15 to 20 percent under what I'm making right now. You know, and everybody always wants to make more. So, you know, you talk about well, how much you want? I want to make more than I'm making right now. Like, what you mean? So. I think it's really important if there's a way that you can kind of get in front of that in a way that, to your point, though, isn't just so money hungry or just makes it seem as if all you care about is the money. But at the same time, you're being transparent about, you know, where are we with this thing financially? Can I can I just address one thing? Zach? You sure can. Yes, please. OK, um, notice. When the person asked the question. I didn't just immediately answered the question, but I asked another question. So there, there are a couple of techniques you can use. Person asks a question, you answer the question with a question. Answering a question with a question. Kids are great at that, right? You know, they do the same thing. My son is about to be 13 uh, next week, and, you know, now he's into, like, he's not just going to give me a straight answer. <laughs> so, and one thing I learned early on in my career in recruiting is that the person who answers the question first usually loses. Okay, so what do I mean by that? I'm glad you asked that. So <laughs> what I mean by is the fact that if a person says that, well, how much are you looking for? Or no, we're, we're prepared to offer you $80,000. 
Now you can answer it. Great. I accept. I'm ready to go to work because you must already know in the back of your mind, that's where you are and what you're willing to accept. Right. But if you, if you want to negotiate it, you may say, Hmm. Notice that long, uncomfortable pause. Yes, I did. <laughs> right. It's it's an uncomfortable pause. So sometimes the HR professional who may be the one extending the offer uh, by verbally or the hiring manager may extend it verbally. Sometimes they they just send a, a, an email these days, which is a horrible, horrible way of presenting an offer to a prospective employee. Yes, I said that, Mr. and Mrs. Employer. <laughs> you guys need to stop that. <laughs> so, um, Amen. So, yeah, you, you've got to be willing to answer the question and follow up and, and look at the offer and say, look, this seems like a great offer. Um, let me study it. Let me be able to review it. I need. Uh, I may have some questions. Can I be able to call you back? What time is good for me to do so? So uh, let's make an appointment. Uh, can we talk at three o'clock on Monday to be able to go over the offer in detail so I can be able to make sure I'm on the same page with you? Okay. So I'm going to have them doing what in the next day or two or the hours that are coming to think about did I really extend it the best offer I could to them? And I always ask my employers before, whenever they extend an offer to any of my candidates, first thing I say, I've been taught this from day one. Is this the best offer you can extend? I like that. Why? Because most, and I've got to be honest, guys, 80 to 90% of the time, that's not the best offer they can extend. Now, is that the best offer they're going to extend to you? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but, um, but the bottom line is uh, there, there, there are other variables. So you want them to be able to explain why they were able to prepare this offer for you. And listen, don't get emotional. Don't get mad and feel like you're being lowballed or you being underappreciated or feeling discriminated against. You can't do that. You have to listen first. Listen to what they have to say. Say, okay, I'm taking all this into consideration. Can I get back to you? Now, here's the fear part. And this is where many of my minority friends come into the fear part. They're going to rescind the offer. Because I asked to be able to think about it. They're going to rescind the offer. Right. No, it's how you prepare the, to ask about it. If you, you, if you have an attitude, well, I don't know if I'm going to accept this or not. Yeah, <laughs> most likely they're going to rescind the offer, right? But if you are trying to make a well-educated decision and let them, I'm trying to make the best decision for me and my family or for me and my professional career. Even if you are fearful they're they're gonna rescind the offer and say say something like this, well, I need to see the benefits. Can I be able to speak with the human resources professional and go over the benefits with them? Oh, that's first? awesome. Yeah. First. Yeah. Then then they're thinking, well, hell yeah, it's just the benefits. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Sure, Sally, why don't you uh do that? I'll set you up with uh Joe Beth and you guys can go over that. 
you know, how well you frame it is going to make sure you so have your house being supported, your career is your house. How, how, what type of foundation you lay, what type of framework you put into your home, will it support the weight of everything else that's going to go on and around? And I'm only saying this because I want the audience to be more in a power type of position versus being passive when it comes to this. Once you start your career, guys, you have to be able to say, this is what I, what my goals are going to be. And every, and every year you have to redefine your goals. You have to, please, 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 you have to redefine your goals. You have to make sure you check on your goals, make sure you're on, on point. You also need to have an outside coach or someone to monitor you to help with your accountability as well. All right. What I would say is this to any professional, it doesn't matter how young or old you are, make sure you learn as much as you can to platform yourself to your new situation. Build your career to have a solid foundation that, that people, when they look at your track record, they see a progression. That, that's great right there. Progression. Okay. Uh, because I had a, a client of mine come to us and say, look, I don't want to see anyone who's unemployed. He's like, okay, you know, this is oil and gas country. There may have been some people out of work. And the guy said, yeah, I understand that. But I, for this role, because this person most likely would become a manager within the next year or two, and I need to train this person because I'm going to be, become the VP of the company. I need to see somebody somebody with a career track record that they have progressed from one job to the next. So the person just wasn't engineer day one. Then he went to another company to be the same type of engineer. He has, you know, I want to see, I want to see the person go to the next step, supervisor, next step, department manager, next step is going to be this and that, the other, right? If a person is going to be analyst one, don't go to another job where you could just going to be analyst one. If you, if you can bear not to do so just for the same type of functions, but more money. Kyle, this is great. And actually I think that's a great place to end it. Um, you know, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Um, before we let you go, do you have any shout outs? Uh, first of all, I would like to thank Everyone who's been in my career, my 25 plus years, thank you very much for helping me to be highly successful. Uh, my wife, of course, and my family, uh, thank you for this opportunity as well. But most of all, audience, I would like to thank you for listening into what Zach is presenting, because this is some good information. And you may say, hey, Mr. Mosley, I think you made some nice points, but I don't quite agree with you. That's okay. This is a, it's a discussion for you to think about what you want to do with your career and how you would like to pro progress with your career. So um, you can always follow me on Twitter at Ezek Recruit Pro. I'm on Twitter there. And if you want to connect with me, my firm that I represent is Walker Elliott. So you can always uh, you can email me at kmosley. That's K-M-O-S-L-E-Y at Walker. Elliot.com. 
And there it is. Uh, Kyle Mosley, thank you so much again. Hey, thank you, Zach. Anytime, let me know. And remember, don't be good ass, be better than. Amen. Peace, man. Take care. Bye. And we're back. Zach, that was a great interview. Kyle has a lot of knowledge, and I just love his energy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Typically, I feel like I'm the bombastic one, but he was really keeping up with me. Um, what did you think about his feedback on clearly articulating the number you want and the reason why? Yeah, I really enjoyed his practical um, perspective on things. Uh, for example, response methods. So not just blurting out concerns like that's not enough money, but pausing before you speak and making it a little awkward. <laughs> that was really funny, but it makes a lot of sense. Kind of like that psychological approach. Um, there were some mind games there, and I just really enjoyed that. Absolutely. I enjoyed it as well. I also appreciated that he said how this is his perspective and like not gospel. Um, we definitely enjoyed having him on the show. And uh, we definitely want to have him back. Yeah, he was great. We need to make sure we drop his contact information uh, so everyone can reach out to him if they have any additional questions or concerns. For sure. Okay. Uh, Well, look, let's get into our next segment, uh, Favorite Things. Uh, This is where we talk about our favorite things these days. And uh, Latricia, I'll let you go ahead and start. Yeah. So my favorite thing right now has to be biking. So it's very important that you stay fit. I recently participated in Bike MS in Dallas. It was a 160-mile bike route. Of course, I did not do the 160 because I'm a beginner. (laughs) So I did the beginner route, but I love biking. It's a great way to exercise without feeling like it's punishment. And I'm hoping that next year I can actually complete the entire course. Man, that's really cool. And uh, we definitely, definitely want to stay fit. Um, And I'm really excited, actually, because I know down the road, we want to actually have a, a whole show about personal wellness, right? And that's a big part of it. Like physical wellness is a, a huge part of personal wellness. Um, well, cool. My favorite thing right now has to be, believe it or not, uh, this Snoop Dogg gospel album. Listen, y'all. Oh, that album is fire. It is fire, man. Like, it is really, really good. And, I mean, welcome to 2018. Like, I can actually say Snoop Dogg. At this point, again, because I didn't want to be a prisoner of the moment, so I'm saying welcome to 2018, where Snoop Dogg has dropped one of the coldest gospel albums I have ever heard. Uh, And it's been, like I said, it's been some months now, and the album is still heavy in my rotation, uh, especially when folks try me at work, to be be honest. (laughs) I actually listen to that song when I'm at work, too. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us on the Living Corporate Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Living Corporate, Twitter at Living Corp underscore pod, and subscribe to our newsletter through www.living-corporate.com. If you have a question you'd like for us to answer and read on the show, like the read, make sure you email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. And that does it for us on this show. My name is Latricia. And I'm Zach. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. 
You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.